and welcome to this, the latest in our ongoing Broadway in Chicago review series. Hello! Thank you so much, as always, for being a Patreon donor. Your generosity, oh, how it moves us. It really does. I am here with Benny in the booth. I, of course, am John Pernasek, your resident musical man. Well, what are we talking about this time around? You might be wondering, perhaps you've forgotten. Well, let me remind you, this time around, we are talking about Once on This Island, which I saw today, January 25th, the 2 p.m. matinee. All of my performances are 2 p.m. matinees, it should be said. And I saw this performance at the Cadillac Palace Theater. So at this point, I believe I have been to the Broadway Playhouse. That was for Oslo. And then I went to the Nederlander for Mean Girls. And now I have been to the third of three venues, the Cadillac Palace Theater. There are other venues. I'm not saying those are the only three major hotspot theaters that we have. But uh, what to say about the Cadillac Palace Theater. Well, they're basically doing everything right that the Nederlander isn't doing as well as it could be. <laughs> I will say that there's a lot more leg room between the rows. Nobody seemed to be smashing themselves into seats or rows. Everybody seemed to be having a fine old time getting to their seats. I will say that. And it's also, oddly enough, not as busy as the Nederlander in terms of its actual architectural architectural design. I'm having a hard time saying that word. Just imagine the Nederlander, but with all of the fuss and the must just taken out. None of that Moulin Rouge pageantry. None of the zim, the zam, the vim, and the verb. It's a little more boring, but at the same time, I thought to myself, that's fine. That's fine. I don't need every theater to be a smorgasbord, a collage of every cultural signifier in terms of statuary from the last 200 to 300 years. So it's kind of in the middle between the busyness of the Nederlander and the strange starkness of the Broadway Playhouse. We have the Cadillac Palace. Oh, the Cadillac Palace. I mean, that's really all I have to say about the venue. What about the program, you might be wondering? Well, before I go into the program, I just want to take a second to say, what a bad season it is to go to the theater. And by bad season, I mean it's wintertime, and I'm just tired of it. I really am. It is hard to get up the energy. This has been a really busy month for us in terms of producing main feed content, bonus Patreon content, and it has been a really tiring month. When you just consider how much output we have had this month, it really is sort of astonishing that we have caught up with all of this, kept up with all of this, I should say. But the winter time, I mean, this is just such a nasty weather period for Chicago. Every, every inch of the city is just drenched in snow sludge and muck and gray ooze. Everything just seems to be covered in a thick layer of like fingernail crust. Oh, this city is just disgusting. And I I really did not have the energy to drag myself out of the apartment. I wanted to stay in my apartment where it's warm and safe and comforting, and I just wanted to do nothing, if I could just be totally honest with you. But I got myself out of that apartment, I got myself on a train, and I got myself to the venue. And then if I could also just say, I guess I'll just throw this in here. Coming back from the theater, I'm just gonna jump to after my theater experience, Coming back from the theater, just as, you know, strange a train ride as you could ever think to have in Chicago, encountering random piles of vomit and the train car that I happened to step into, and then my train car got emptied, completely emptied. I thought the entire train was being evacuated. Turns out it was just our car, just our train car, and I heard in passing a CTA worker say the phrase biohazard slash bomb, and they did some perfunctory checking of the train 
train car and I got really annoyed, not annoyed, no, paranoid. I'm trying to like make myself sound stronger than I was. To be coming at this from a state of annoyance would be to assume that that I have some sort of confidence as to how the world works. Yeah, come on, it's just, this is my train. I have an ego. I gotta get going. I gotta get home. I was operating from a place of immediate paranoia and fear because I always think something is going to go wrong. Something terrible is going to happen in the city at some point. And I just, I'm really worried that either I or my husband, I don't want anyone to find themselves in the middle of a situation like that. But especially my husband and I, I just, I don't want us to go out like that. So to hear the phrase, Biohazard slash bomb, two very different things. <laughs> two very different things. Biohazard, you think a million different things. Bomb, you think that's a bomb. So I just got really, I got a little freaked out, but that also didn't stop me from getting back on the train once they decided, oh, it's fine. The train's fine. We'll just keep going. And I could have waited for the next one, which was a minute behind the one that had a problem, but I got on the train that had a problem. Yeah, it didn't have a problem. Apparently everything checked out all right. But it's just, you know, I'm back, I'm back, and I'm, I, I'm just, I, I don't wish that kind of train ride experience for anyone because it really just does throw you for a loop. So I'm a little scattered right now, Benny, and I, I do apologize for that. You know what? I don't apologize. I don't apologize. If Mean Girls taught us anything, it's don't apologize for something that's not your fault. It's not my fault that I've gone all akimbo, brain-wise. Psychologically, I'm in a bit of a broiling stew, but why don't we just take a few breaths and we'll continue from there. We'll go back. We'll go all the way back. We're going to talk about the program. Of course, not much to say about the program. I mean, we just got together and talked about Mean Girls not too, too long ago. And I don't think you'll be surprised to find that all of the ads in the program, the playbill for Once on this Island, all of those ads are the ads that you would find in the Mean Girls program. Nothing's changed. Oh, it was so disappointing. Although I did, I, I do want to say, uh, if you'll recall, me talking about Robert Duback. Oh, that funny, funny man, Robert Duback, and his show, The Book of Moron. Oh, yeah, you'll remember that from our last episode in this series. I went down a YouTube rabbit hole, one of those classic YouTube rabbit holes, and I just, I watched some videos. I watched a video advertising The Book of Moron. I watched a bit of this guy's, you know, he has multiple one-person shows, one-man shows, if you will, one-man shows, and awful the trailer for the Book of Moron is maybe the worst thing I've seen all year. All year. And they, I'm, I'm talking about 2020. I'm not just talking about within the last technical 365 days. I'm just talking about from the beginning of the calendar year 2020. I don't think I'll see anything worse than this. The most unamusing, but it was just borderline offensive how, how caveman-like the humor was, how basic it really was. I know that term gets thrown around a lot by the teens, maybe not so much these days. Horrifically diluted gender versus gender, the most basic bullshit about race and religion that you could ever hope to fucking find. Man, I just wish I had the ability to go and attend a performance of this show and boo. Boo, Robert Duback, you stink. That's all I'm gonna say, you stink. But I don't have anything else to say about the playbill because all the ads were the same. Ah, what a disappointment. I did pull some basic show info from that playbill. Of course, we gotta get some basic credits, right? Ah, What's on this Island, the musical. It's a musical with music by Stephen Flaherty and a book and lyrics by Lynn Ahrens, the director of this production, Michael Arden, the choreographer Camille A. Brown. Why don't I do a bit of a, well, why 
not? We do this every time. Let's continue the tradition of citing the cast members. Yes. I don't know why I'm making such a big deal out of everything today. I told myself I was going to be, you know, very casual, very cool, but I feel very on. I feel very electric. Maybe because I know this is the final recording that we're doing in our marathon January. And I, I maybe I'm just telling myself, don't slack off. Don't you fucking slack off. This is for the Patreon donors. Dum dum. You gotta be with it. You gotta have a gimmick. Okay, so the cast. We have McKinley Aiden Abraham is one of the storytellers. We have more than a few storyteller characters within this cast. We have Jamal Bakar as Agwe, Philip Boykin as Tantan, Brianna Brooks as Andrea slash storyteller, George L. Brown as Armand slash storyteller, Michael Ivan Carrier as Bazome slash storyteller, Courtney Carter as Timoon, we have Mimi Crossland and Mariama Diop as Little Girl, both of the, I think it's a matter of we got a child actor in the tour, so we sort of trade off between these two young actresses, and they both play the role of Little Girl. We have Jay Donnell as the storyteller, one of many storytellers, I should say, <laughs> yet again. Kyle Ramar Freeman as Asaka, Tamira Gray as Papa Gay, Alex Joseph Grayson as one of the Bazomes slash narrator slash storyteller, Daniel Lee Greaves as Mama Ureli, Tyler Hardwick as Daniel. Oh, and can I just say, this is as good a time as any to say this. I was very interested in seeing Once on this Island because I know for a fact that the original Broadway production of this revival involved a lot of shirtless Daniel. And if there's one thing that I was looking forward to, it was that. And may I say, Tyler Hardwick, you were just glistening from moment, <laughs> moment one. That body... <laughs> I will just say, I was in one of the, I was up in the highest balcony so far away from you, and yet I could see every glistening dewdrop on that goddamn body of yours. Uh, sometimes I wonder, <laughs> sometimes I wonder if I want a body like that out of just like sheer jealousy, or if I like want a body like that. Sometimes I just can't tell the difference. Do I want the body, or do I want the body? Do I want the body, or do I want the body? <laughs> Oh, goodness gracious. Let's continue with this cast, shall we? We have Fire Hawkins as one of the Bazomes slash narrator slash storyteller. I don't actually know the distinction they're making between narrator and storyteller. That's an interesting distinction, but there we go. Savvy Jackson as one of the storytellers. Cassandra James as Urzuli slash flute. Tatiana Lofton as one of the storytellers, and we have finally Robert Zalea as storyteller slash dance captain. And we don't have any standbys, swings, or ensemble credits. That's it. That's everybody. That's the whole breakdown. Can I just talk about the audience? I don't have any fantastic stories to pull from, but I just want to take this opportunity to underline some basic theater etiquette points that I feel like every theater staff tries to tries to make clear before any given show, but I don't know. I don't understand where we are as a culture. I do understand. We're a very selfish culture. We're a very selfish culture. And at this point, I've come to accept that I'm going to have to deal with an annoying audience to a certain degree because there is that selfishness and there's nothing I can do about that. I am the only one who can control my behavior. I cannot control the behavior of anyone else. But you know, what's the thing they always tell you before a show starts? They tell you to turn off your phones. They tell you not to look at your phones. They tell you not to take any photos, of course, and I don't really see, I can't remember the last time I saw someone take a photo of a production that was in the, you know, in the process of being delivered to the audience, if I just may say in a very roundabout way. I don't really think we have a problem with pictures. Maybe we have a problem with, you know, video recordings, audio recordings, but 
The thing is, people just, they just can't not look at their phones. They just can't not look at their phones because this is a smartphone culture and we used to make fun of people of, of you know, my age range. You know, we had a lot of parents making fun of us saying, oh, you guys look at your phones so much. What are you looking at, huh? What are you looking at, huh, you zombies? But now I would honestly argue that I have no way of knowing who is more addicted to their phones, the younger people in these audiences or the older people. I don't really necessarily see a lot of younger people, and there were more than a few younger people in this audience. I don't see younger people looking at their phones during a theatrical performance. I see everyone over the age of 50 looking at their fucking phones. And it's because they're bored or they're anxious or it's a weird, toxic mix-up of the two. And I'm never, I'm never convinced that never, no, no one has ever looked at their phone during a performance. No one has ever looked at their phone during a performance because they have important news coming through. You know what I mean? There's never an emergency that they have to keep their fucking finger on. There's no pulse that they're keeping a finger on. It's pure anxiety boredom. And I'm so fucking sick of it. I cannot believe that during like quiet moments of intimacy, intense, dramatic tension, that people just whip out their phones so they can look at their texts. And guess what? You don't have any texts. Guess what? Nothing's going on on Facebook. And this is one of the most generic rants that you could ever hear coming from a podcaster. I understand that. But it really does. It feels new to me on some level every single time. I've accepted it, and yet it feels new every single fucking time. And this was a 90-minute show with no intermission. And I didn't understand that. I didn't, I, I didn't know that Once on this Island was a, was a one-act piece. And I was sort of excited by that. I thought, oh, well, that's fantastic. We'll get in and we'll get out. The story's going to have, you know, a natural drive and a thrust. Surely people will be able to sit still for that amount of time. No, they told people, you know, if you have to go to the bathroom, you really should do it now. You should do it now because there's no opportunity and we really don't like it when people get up and fucking shuffle around during this show. That this show that people on stage are trying so hard to get give to you in its best form, these people that are working so hard and just working to the best of their ability, fantastic show, by the way, should I just say that? Fantastic show, excellent production, easily the best of the three that we have talked about for the purposes of this series. But there were so many people in my balcony area that were constantly getting up and presumably going to the bathroom or getting up and walking out into the hallway, maybe to look at their phones. And I, maybe that's supposed to be someone's idea of being considerate, but that's not considerate to me. Just stop. Oh my God, I need to stop is what I need to do. Because again, it doesn't necessarily help to rant about it. I just, I'm sure that you maybe have felt some of these same feelings. I uh, just, this idea that, you know, don't look at your phones. We all have that idea. If, if we, we are respectful of the theater or the space and the performers and our fellow audience members, we don't look at our phones because it's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. It's 90 minutes of your fucking life. Also, I'll just say this. I'm, I know I've said this before. Don't get up and rush for the exit the second you know the show is over, at the very least, could you please go through the theatrical ritual that is applauding for the audience that just, not not the audience, the cast that just entertained you? I, I, I'm saying this as a person who has a background in theater and who doesn't do it anymore. I am coming at this from the perspective of, I used to do this. 
I used to do this and I didn't get anywhere near the level of success as these people, but I tried to bring a level of professionalism to everything that I did and I was very concerned with giving the best product I could to an audience. And when an audience is not able to sort of bounce that good faith back at you, and send it back your way in a sort of back and forth process, that is a broken system. It's dispiriting to consider that just so many people don't think of the people on stage as people. You, that's really what you're doing. It's a dehumanization of the theater. You, you think of it as a movie. You think of it as, I don't know what they think of it as, some sort of like skit or basement church performance. They see it on the level of all of these different things. It's all equal to them. And it's equal to them in the sense that it doesn't matter. So much work goes into these productions. And I just it's really disappointing to me that people just bolt. I, I think I, I honestly heard a woman say, go, 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 go. What's, what's the concern? And you see this all, you see this all the time, this need to be out the door before anyone else. It's fucking nuts. What's wrong with you? Are you fucking claustrophobic? You don't want to get in caught. You don't want to get caught in some sort of traffic jam. Everybody going through the same. Oh, I'll get caught like a bug. Oh, I'll get squished like a grape. Oh, I'll, I'll want to scream out loud. No, you're not that person. You're just an asshole. You're just an asshole who needs to get out of the theater faster than anyone else. And I promise that this is not just going to be an episode where I'm very... I went from being very on and very presentational to now being very angry, seemingly. And I'm just... It's very frustrating. My frustration comes out as very flinty and very sharp. Some people can... So, you know, some people can express their frustrations in a very cool, calm, level-headed way. And that doesn't necessarily... Uh, that's not how it works for me. <laughs> so there you go. That's what you're getting. You know me from the main feed. You know me. The only other thing I'll say about the audience before going into this show, which really will help tip the scales between the balance of, you know, positivity and negativity. There was just, there's a moment in Once on This Island where the main character, Timun, gives the love of her life, Daniel, a charm. A charm that, you know, it's a necklace, it's a charm on a necklace, and she believes that it will protect him, and it's a symbol of their love. And toward the end of the show, Daniel hands the charm back to her. It's a fucking necklace. It's a necklace that he takes off from around his neck and puts in the palm of her hand. And it's a very quiet moment. You know, I was just talking about this, that a quiet moment of sort of dramatic tension and there's sadness in the air and you can hear a pin drop. In that moment, maybe don't turn to your partner and say, what did he hand to her? as loudly as you could possibly could in the form of a whisper, what did he hand to her? That's a question you need to keep to yourself. All questions, all questions keep to yourself. If you don't understand it and you're with someone, guess what? Guess what you have the ability to do? You could talk about it after the show. It's a tradition to talk about the show after the show, not during the show. I'm confused what's happening. It doesn't matter if you're confused. It's not the show's fault that you're confused over this wildly basic plot point. You need to swallow that question and then you can spit it back up later. And then your partner can say to you, that's the fucking charm that he gave, that she gave to her, that she gave to him. Oh, come on already. You're confusing me. The show was fantastic. So first of all, I've never seen a production of Once on this Island, and I was very entertained by the pre-show. It has this classic theater convention of the trickle-in. I dubbed this the trickle-in convention of theater, where right from the get-go, you know, there is no curtain. We just see the set. And the set's fantastic. It really did make me realize all over again how Mean Girls 
while fine for what it was, it was doing a good job at presenting itself for what it was. The Mean Girls is just a fucking sketch show. It's a series of sketches that are interrupted by songs, and it's not very meaningful, and it's not very deep, and I don't fault it for being, you know, not deep or not meaningful, but it's just, especially the set. The set was very clearly for Mean Girls, something that was a throwaway idea. Let's just, we, we're not going to worry about physical set pieces for the most part. It's going to be all projected on screens, and Oslo was very reliant on screen multimedia shots as well. And what was so refreshing is Once on this Island does not do that at all. It is a very traditional set that's very elaborate and very beautiful. And it's beautiful in just how messy and at the same time coherent and tight. It has the ability to seem at first when you walk in and you look at it as this pop, this splash of color and textures. And what they are trying to convey here is that you are looking at this tiny spot of an island after a raging storm. So there's all kinds of, you know, trash, there's laundry on a laundry line, and you just see people from the cast trickle on one by one by one. And they have this wonderful interplay together that is so tight and it's just so warm and inviting. You want to watch every single person. I would watch this pre-show 10 times if I could follow with my eyes one of the, you know, 10 to 15 people in this cast. I would follow them through this whole thing because every single person is really uh, effectively communicating a story. And the little girl character, the role of the little girl, is especially compelling. It was really cool to watch this little girl. And I believe, according to her biography, at least one of the two little girls, this was a sort of premiere credit for them, that they had never been in anything in terms of a theatrical production before. That might actually apply to the bios of both of the young girls playing this part. And watching the character of the little girl interacting with all of the adults, that was just so entertaining. It's just so tactile, and it felt very lived in. Nothing about Mean Girls ever felt lived in, and it was almost aggressively going out of its way to make that point. Everything was very synthetic. I mean, it kind of makes sense, I suppose, in a very roundabout way. You could say, well, the Mean Girls, I mean, the girls within Mean Girls are known as the plastics. It's all very synthetic, so why shouldn't, you know, the set be very synthetic. I'm just glad that nobody thought to uh, simplify Once on this Island in terms of its set design, its lighting design. The lighting design was just beautiful. That I love any sort of cinematic style like pin spots and like a lot of crossfades. I mean, all the traditional devices, of course, it's not like I was blown away by anything revolutionary, but that's the thing. They are using all of these very uh, stock ideas about the theater and they're utilizing them so well, blending them all together. And uh, what I, 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 so I liked that pre-show a lot. I loved watching the cast working together. As they presented the story of Once on this Island, I found it to be very effective. I found myself choking up a lot. And maybe it's because I am feeling a little wrung out from the weather and the production cycle of the podcast, but I did find myself just sort of I was blown away, actually, by just, like, how effective certain tiny elements were. Uh, almost immediately after the show begins, uh, and we dive into this story of Timun and her love 
for Daniel. Uh, it's this great story. I'll go into uh, I'll go into that in a second. One of the cast members just picks up this string, this rope that can make a sort of whirling, high pitched wind sound if you just spin it around. And I'm really not describing it as well as I wish I could. But that was one of those tiny theatrical elements. That that's like something out of like just caveman days. That I mean, that is just storytelling, literally with what you have. And of course, we have people banging on uh, bucket drums and we have uh, all kinds of, we have rain sticks, we have all of these little tiny elements that can really add to the atmosphere and the aesthetic of a show, and I really love that. Oh my god, at a certain point, is, is there anything better than people making something, a large piece, a set piece out of smaller, like, junk? What I'm trying to say is there is a car that is made in the middle of this show, and I, I guess I just realized all over again how much I love seeing a car made on stage. I'm sure there are many shows that do this, but it was just, it was made out of fucking junk. They brought all of these pieces together, and there were, there were of course, the headlights, and the windshield wipers, and yet, oh, it was just fantastic. I, I love silly stuff like that, where you just think to yourself, like, that took so much time and effort. That's just so complicated and complex, and the, the timing is so, it's just so tight, and it's so well done overall, that you just think to yourself, Jesus, that's a that is a fucking functioning car, and I will not hear anybody say anything else against it. Loved that part. Singing, acting, dancing-wise, you know, everybody is really on point. There were really uh, a lot of moments in terms of the choreography that I was really attuned to that I thought to myself, like, oh, I gotta watch, like, these three people in this section of this, you know, the stage. I gotta watch these people right now because the choreography they're busting out is, like, slick as hell and just so liquid and fluid. I really have to watch them. In terms of the cast, itself, I would say that the highlight easily is the actor who plays Asaka, who is the god of the earth. There are these god characters within this show that are a lot of fun, and Asaka is easily the best character among that little group, because Asaka sings the song Mama Will Provide, which is a one, one of the, uh, the one, of, one of a few songs in this show that are just really fantastic. I will I will say I, I'll, I'll, well first I'll credit Asaka Kyle Ramar Freeman uh, fantastic, love it uh, Kyle had a red fan that would pop open and pop back in and was just fantastic. Sassy uh, in all the right ways with a lot of power and confidence. Uh, just a thick queen. <laughs> just a thick, thick queen. And I do say I enjoyed it very, very much. Kind of sounds like I'm just being like reductive. Like, oh, sassy, thick queen. Fantastic. It wasn't the stereotype that you would think. It's not easy to play a stereotype in general uh, and make it effective and human. And I I think that Kyle really did that well, is what I'm trying to say. So I don't mean to reduce it to a bunch of like fucking signifiers like, yas queen, snatch that wig, snap, snap, snap. Like, no, that's not really, I, I don't mean to do that. I don't mean to reduce a performance to one to two adjectives, even though critics do it all the time. Uh, but I will say this as well. I like to say things, uh, a lot of things. I'll say this as well. Uh, Aaron's and Flaherty, uh, you know, I'm not a fan of ragtime, as you'll recall if you've heard that episode from the main feed. And I, I do think it's interesting how they continually seem to want to tell stories about people of color when they don't really, you know, have any sort of actual frame of reference. Just, you know, white people like to, re they like to research other cultures, and then they like to write their own versions of those cultures. So, you know, you always got to have that little itch in the back of your mind.
mind when you when you watch shows like this. But I will say this score is much stronger, I would say, than Ragtime. Uh, so Aaron's and Flaherty, I will say thank you very much for Waiting for Life to begin. I believe it's just known as Waiting for Life, actually. Uh, one of the best I want songs, really, in the canon, I would say. And yeah, it's just fun. There is a lull in this show, I will say. It's a 90-minute show. But we get to a point where Daniel and Timoon are sort of together, and they have finally been able to address their love for one another. It just feels long. I'm sure in terms of actual stopwatch time, it's not that crazy, but there was a certain very palpable lull where I thought to myself, okay, maybe we can move this along a little faster. I sort of want to get to the, the denouement, the tragedy of this story. The story really does boil down to these two factions in this sort of island world that they paint, and in, you know, one area of this society are these light-skinned, it's a light-skinned black society that is very rich, and they are descendants of the French, and so they sort of hold themselves above the much darker-skinned black peasants who they live alongside, and there are gates that divide those two worlds, and Tamoon is a darker-skinned woman who falls in love with a man who is the victim of this insane car crash, and he nearly dies, and he's a light-skinned Bozom. He is of the Bozom family, and if you'll remember Bozom being thrown out a lot during the casting call, and there is this romance that develops between the two of them, but it is, of course, forbidden, and as we find out, Daniel is like the ultimate musical theater fuckboy. He really does rank among the top tier of musical theater fuckboys. The thing he does not tell her is that he has been engaged to a woman since he was a child. Their marriage has been arranged for, you know, over a decade at this point, is my point. And he regrets to, he regretfully, you know, he just forgets. He forgets to tell her that, oh, did I not underline the point that we can't get married because I'm already engaged to be married? Daniel is just the worst. And it's this very oddly new, I can't tell if the story is nuanced or fucked up. <laughs> you know, there are some shows where you think to yourself, you know, I'm turning over the plot and I'm not sure if it's like, you know, complex and, you know, fun to think about and nuanced and subtle, all these different shades of, like, morality. You know, who's right? What's wrong? What what could this character, Tamun, have done differently? Or is it just fucked up? Because it's about a woman who is just so dedicated to giving all of herself to a man, to this person that she has fallen in love with. And she believes that the gods, these god characters who watch over the story and affect it in certain ways, gods who are somewhat impartial but also somewhat invested in the lives of these mortal beings, she believes these gods have sent this man to her. And without ever having a conversation with him while he's in this borderline unconscious state, she is tending to his wounds. She's never had a conversation with him, but she falls in love with him, and she travels for miles to get back to him after they're separated, and, you know, they have this affair that goes on for weeks, but it means nothing in the end because he abandons her so that he can follow through on this engagement that he has promised to follow through on, and she dies. She dies waiting for him at the gates that separate these two worlds, and when she dies, she turns into a tree. It's this, you know, it's this very mythic fairy tale uh, convention. I believe this story is technically maybe a little bit based on, I know it's based on a novel, but I think it also is taking a great deal of inspiration from, of course, The Little Mermaid in the original story. The Little Mermaid turned 
to see from, I believe, waiting for her love to come back. And so Tamun turns into a tree, and that tree destroys the wall that separates the two societies. And ultimately, her story, the fable, the, the fairy tale, the myth, the legend of Timun, is what allows future generations to bring these two societies together. Their love was not meant to be, but their love inspired other generations to be more open-minded, to be more daring, and to take risks and to follow their heart as opposed to follow the, the dictums of a larger, more uh, unjust, prejudiced society. I guess it isn't so much... I, it's, I like that, that final note that their love was able to inspire others to come to Together, but it is just, it's so sad. It's just so sad to watch uh, a woman on stage give so much of herself, and when she asks for something in return, she gets nothing back. It really is just like this, it really is just this classic tragic note, this archetype of like the woman who falls because she puts too much faith in a man who is just shiftless and really has no ability to honor how how wonderful she is. She is wonderful. She has like this endless bounty within her that she's willing to give, and he just has nothing. Like the moment that he is actually tested, he fails immediately. And the god of death, Papa Gay, the character Papa Gay, uh, Daniel almost dies, and Tamun says, no, I'll trade my life for his. And then when Daniel betrays her, Papa Gay comes back and says, ah, I know you said that you would give your life to me in exchange for his, but what if we just got rid of that? And what if I gave you a knife? And what if I just pointed you in his direction and you killed him? That would be great because I have this bet with the love, with the goddess of love that, uh, you know, anger and hate and death are more powerful than love. So if you kill him by stabbing him many, 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 many times, I'll win the bet. But Tamin, of course, cannot follow through with this. She too filled with love. She doesn't want to take that road of war and hate and anger. There's been a lot of that in these societies. And so at the end of the day, love wins out, baby. Peace, love, rock and roll, cheeseburger in paradise. Uh, there is that lull in the middle where it's just sort of like they're hanging out. <laughs> Everybody's just sort of hanging out and whispering behind their backs like, oh, Daniel of the Bazome family is having sex with that peasant. Ooh, that after a while I was like, all right, it's been like five to seven minutes of this. Can we please continue? But really fantastic production. I give this a BIC. If you recall, our rating system is BIC equals classic, BI equals good, B equals middling, and no letters at all. If I can't even be bothered to give you a letter, that's a garbage production. I hope I never have to see anything like that. Oh, so BIC, Broadway in Chicago, classic production. Yay! Da -da -da -da, da -da -da. That's the first time we've ever been able to say that about the Broadway in Chicago season. Season. What am I going to think about the next show? Oh, the next show. That episode is going to be dropping on February 19th, so we only have to wait a little bit of time. We'll be right back here in no, no time at all, and that's going to be all about summer, the Donna Summer musical, yes. Now, as a reminder, I have the five-show package with this current Broadway season, so I will be seeing five of the six shows. The sixth show, the show that I will not be able to see, is Frozen, so just to let you know, we will not be covering that, uh, but then once the new season starts, I 
I have tickets to all of those shows, baby. Yes, baby, my mummy, my mummy paid for it for my birthday. <laughs> yes, so we will see you then. I hope you liked this one. I, I do hope to, oh, no, no, no. I want to talk about a few more things because I really did, I, I love that set design. There's like this body of water in the back that's really cool. I wish they could have done a lot more with that. It's mainly just people sort of sloshing and splashing around in the water. But there is a final image that is so great because the tree that she turns into is represented by this piece that looks a lot like a totem pole in some respects, but it also looks like a paper mache creation. And it's so tall, it goes up into the rafters of the space. And Tamun comes back having died, but she is wearing this beautiful red dress with this length of fabric behind her, this, this fabric train that's so long, and she climbs that totem pole tree. And in that final moment, there's a warm spot on her face as she climbs that fucking totem pole tree and she reaches out to the little girl who's been listening to this story from the beginning and the little girl reaches out to her and it's so great. And it really was ruined by the fact that there was a fucking woman looking at her goddamn phone. And I'm really angry that I, I just can't help myself. I have to turn and face the people who are doing that, even though I know that they don't fucking know that I'm looking at them and glaring at them. But I really, I'm, I'm really disappointed. But at the same time, I, I do believe I got the beauty of that moment in my head. Really, I love that stuff. Oh, I just love really sumptuous color when it comes to lighting design. If you can just get any color in the fucking rainbow, get all of them. Just, why would you limit yourself? You know what I mean? And What's on This Island is really a show that needs that color. Aaron's and Flaherty, you know, they might be this dorky white couple that... <laughs> This, this collaborative couple that writes all these shows, but it really does, it comes down to the talent on stage to bring these stories to life. It really isn't the writers. I mean, there are some great songs in this, but it's this talented cast, these actors of color who are really bringing it to life and making it feel authentic and feel lived in. I really did, I got this sense that they really did love the material. Oh, there's a dance break, by the way, where Tamoon dances for all the rich hoity-toities of the Bazome Society. That dance break, which was really, really great, got a really big ovation from the crowd, the loudest that they ever got throughout the entire performance, and wow, did that feel earned. And that's what I'm fucking talking about. That's the audience honoring the cast. And when you feel that the audience is honoring you from the darkness, man, that's fantastic. That's electricity, that's lightning. Oh man, that you can't you can't put that in a bottle. And you miss that kind of thing when you're looking at your phone. And it just makes me wonder what else they're missing. You know what I mean? Like, what, are you not looking at the people in your life? And believe me, I, Chris and I don't have smartphones. That's a big, that's, that's what's informing this whole thing. We have flip phones. And I, I do still understand the addiction to devices. I use my laptop all the fucking time, much to my detriment, much to my chagrin, because I feel like half the time I'm missing out on the small moments where I can honor the people in my life because I'm looking at my laptop or I'm too focused on my computer at work when I could be reaching out to someone and making a connection, I, I sometimes worry that I'm missing out on moments with my husband. And it's just, the theater is, when it's really, when it is at its most magical, it's offering you so 
much. This isn't Mean Girls, okay? I can understand checking out of Mean Girls. That's basically a Second City show. Like, it's sketches with songs. It's Second City. I fucking get it. If you're a little bored, if you're a little checked out, this is like something entirely different. Like, come on. Just please try a little harder. I'm putting this out there. I have a feeling that everybody who listens to this is not part of the problem, but I just want to put it out there. Okay, look, that's enough. We'll be back here on February 19th. February 19th. Okay, talking about summer, the Donna Summer Musical. Thank you for allowing me to get all, all that off my chest. I hope you had fun. We'll see you then. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. sitting right in the front. I'm just going to ask you a question, okay? That's all. all right. I'm not going to ask you how old you are. Don't worry. How much you weigh? <laughs> is sex a sin or is it a skill? <laughs> Depends who you're with. You're having sex with someone who's married to someone else, that's considered a sin. You're having sex with yourself, that's a skill. <laughs> I have a wedding band, so I'm married, but is it a same-sex marriage? Probably. <laughs> what? <laughs> Isn't that what marriage is? The same sex over and over again? <laughs> because it's the middle of the night, I'm in an alley, and I watch the news. Yeah, you watch the news, you know you're gonna get mugged once in your lifetime. You watch cable news twice. What do I believe? Do I believe in God, or Allah, or Yahweh, or something more powerful like Oprah? <laughs> it's not panic. How do you wake up from a coma? That was not rhetorical. <laughs> Let's use our brains here, okay? There's hundreds of us, so that's what? 65, 70 brains? <laughs> Why is it that the only politicians who lie are the ones you did not vote for? <laughs> Or do I like to take my time? Anytime a teenager says whatever, he means kiss my ass. <laughs>